Hi, welcome to Dreams Recycle Podcast. I am Tiffany Ann Bevelin, your host as usual. And we are here today with somebody who's already been on our show and she was super popular. So we asked her back. Her name is um, Tiffany Hughes and she is an attorney out of Chicago. And so we're happy to have you. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, everyone. Hi, Tiffany. Thank you for having me again. It's my pleasure to be here. No, we love having you. Um, the voice of reason in legal terms, right? So, so one right. of the things um, we're going to kind of today's to just let people know as we go into this. Today's topic is going to be about child custody and parenting issues from the legal realm because it's one of the things that I get asked most often about. You know, people send me very long stories, or I get on the phone with them and they say like they're having horrible, horrible custody issues with. Um, their exes and this is one of I'm sure you you know I don't know the stats actually but it has to be one of the most popular reasons that you go back to court right after your divorce right right exactly and it's what we call in Illinois a post decree matter so mm -hmm. it's a matter that's after you've already been divorced and it you know you have anything from you know in regards to changes of parenting time so just for everyone to know and whoever's in Illinois we don't call it custody anymore. Um, we actually call it allocation of parental responsibility. So you'll hear me refer to as APR, which is the short version of allocation of parental responsibility. So yeah, absolutely. There are, uh, you know, there are so many reasons for changes of parenting time, child support, um, what we call, we still deem as residential custody. So the individual who has um, the main who's the main primary parent. And there's so many, so many different areas. So I'm hoping that we can touch base on a lot of them for everybody out there. Yeah, no, that'd be great. Okay, so let's start with the basic one. Um, what's your first step when you realize that the custody maybe that your, you know, your ex-spouse wants and you don't want or do want is radically different? And, and this goes into court. So as we know, this is a massively contentious area of law and of emotions, right? Because they're your children. So, so how do we right. start? Like, how do we find a good lawyer who's going to be good with custody and children and be, you know, fair and just in that arena? Well, I think, you know, I think the biggest thing for everybody to understand is that there are a lot of lawyers out there. And, you know, a lot of lawyers, you know, when you get your law degree, you're not just bound by one area. So you don't take, you know, what we call the bar exam just to be a corporate lawyer. You take the bar exam and you can become any kind of lawyer you want to. And I think the first step that's the most important is to really interview attorneys that solely practice in the area of what we call family law. Mm -hmm. And that's key. And I would say, you know, finding, finding attorneys that solely practice in family law and then taking a look and seeing online what, what previous clients have to say. Um, keeping in mind, though, that unfortunately, as a family law attorney, I can tell you that mm -hmm. the downside of my job is that no matter what you do, and although I, I win a case that's beyond you know, anyone's expectations, it's never really a win, right? right. I mean, no, there, I agree. there there are no winners in this whole system, unfortunately, but 
the goal is to get, you know, my clients the best possible outcome. And when you're researching attorneys, just being aware of and looking and seeing what other people have mentioned about their experience and also looking into, you know, the kind of uh, awards and acknowledgement that they have and, and credentials overall, mm-hmm. what, you know, how long they've practiced in the area. Um, you know, especially for, for issues in regards to children, I think it's extremely important that the attorney be also a court appointed um, mm-hmm. child attorney. And that's what we call in the state of Illinois, a guardian at litem or a child representative. Right. Cause it so, gives your children the rights if the two parents can't agree. Correct. Right. So what will happen in a lot of cases is that, you know, if we can't resolve the matter between the attorneys and the parties, mm-hmm. the court will say, well, let's bring in a neutral third party. And, and should we, should we, you know, sorry to stop you, but should we be fighting that? Because I feel, I feel there's a lot of people who, who are very reluctant to award a child a guardian ad litem. They feel like it's their child, they should have the say. So when, when does that, the benefit of that start to outweigh the negative of it? Or is there a negative of it? Well, I mean, I think at the end of the day, if you get to a point where the parties know that there's not going to be a resolution, there's not going to be a settlement, and there's no way to resolve it other than going to trial, I think that it's a lot better to at least start with a guardian at litem or an attorney for the child. Um, Just because it, it doesn't mean that their opinion or their recommendation is going to be the end all be all. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, for example, I am a guardian at litem and a child representative um, in, in Cook County and as well as uh, in DuPage County. So, you know, I'm on the list. Judges will appoint me um, to cases to assist in settlement. And that's, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. Right. And at the end of the day, if they say that they don't agree with my recommendation or sometimes, you know, guardian at litem, they, they don't investigate fully. Mm-hmm. I've seen that happen a lot. Um, and if that's the case, then, then you go to trial. Right. Then let the judge hear all of the evidence, you know, go through all of the flaws of what, you know, you think the guardian at litem didn't do. But I think it's a great way if, if you can avoid trial. You know, my position overall is I want to get a case resolved as quickly and as inexpensively as possible. You know, it's not my goal to litigate a case. Mm-hmm. Um, there well, are a lot of attorneys out there that do. <laughs> that's what right. they want. But it's not, it's yeah. not in the best interest of anybody, including the children. No, it's always, I think it's always a good, uh, you know, you, you hope for the best and plan for the worst in all cases, including court, right? So you want to, you want an attorney who's strong if it ends up like that, but not that that's their main goal. Cause obviously that does, you know, as you said, there's no winners in that. And so when right, you're dealing exactly. with, um, when you're dealing with, let's say an ex-spouse who is just hell bent on making your life misery and now they've started to use the children in the court system um to either gain money or you know or another way to kind of emotionally abuse the other person or god forbid which i hear a lot they've started to then accuse the other parent of abuse of the child that isn't Mm -hmm. true to get custody and things like this so 
what advice would you give those people in the kind of more extreme situations where it's very, very contentious? How can they kind of remain calm and let the legal system, how does that play out for them? Well, I mean, it's, it's a very, very difficult situation when you have allegations that are serious allegations against you. And I think, you know, I would really advise you to speak with your lawyer and prepare, prepare a way to um, rebut it. So, you know, if there are allegations in regards to abuse, um, you know, obviously the first thing that I ask is, okay, well, if my client abused the minor child, was DCFS called, which is the Department of uh, Child and Family Services in the state of Illinois. Usually if there's abuse and it's serious and it, it, it rises to the level of serious endangerment, mm-hmm. a DCFS complaint will be filed. Right. Um, or... For example, if you, you know, I've had cases where, um, you know, my client has called the police, you know, he received a, a phone call from his daughter that was extremely, extremely concerning. Mm-hmm. And so he called the police and asked them to come and do a wellness check. So I think when you're looking at what the allegations are, I think it's really important to also look at just some of the common sense things that, mm-hmm. that would come into play. You know, if, if something is really bad that, you know, that has occurred, then somebody would have called the police. Somebody would have called DCFS. If all of a sudden it's, it's now in a pleading Mm -hmm. of some sort, you know, those would be my initial questions of now it's an issue, Mm -hmm. but it was an issue before. Because it's more, um, it's more of an emotional play than a legal play. I feel, I mean, I don't know in legal terms, but you know, I'm sure it's, it's, um, construed to cause as much you know harm and discord to the other person as possible because obviously that's one of the worst things that somebody could accuse you of doing when it's not true right and this is where you know we were just talking about the downsides of having a guardian at litem and i mm-hmm. i don't see a whole lot um other than if you get a guardian at litem that that doesn't do their job which mm-hmm. i'd hope that that would never be the case mm-hmm. but you know, the guardian at Lightum is going to be the one who can talk to the children. Um, also, a lot of times there are, you know, the children, you know, have therapists. Um, so the guardian at Lightum can speak to the therapist and find out if the minor child has ever spoken about any kind of abuse or any kind of those allegations that may be contained in whatever pleading that was filed. So the investigation aspect of a guardian at litem and, and therapy and in the background of police reports being filed and DCFS investigations being started. And, and mm-hmm. then, you know, if I, I have cases right now where, you know, the minor child is 14, 15 years old. And mm-hmm. I asked the court considering the age of the child, why do we, instead of going the guardian at litem route, why don't we just do an in-camera hearing with your honor? Mm-hmm. And so that's a different strategy that, that you can do, but it, it's usually only allowed when the children are a little bit older. Now, obviously, okay. it's completely up to the judge and it's at the judge's discretion, but that's a good way also to say, look, judge, speak to the child. 
Mm-hmm. You know, hear what the child has to say in regards to the allegations. Well, and that's another question that I um, you led to very nicely. Thank you. Is um, when are children old enough to have a say? Because I get asked that question a lot, and I'm sure it's probably different in all 50 states. But when do when do judges really start to pay attention to children's wishes if they'd rather live with X or Y or not have overnights or whatever that may be? Yeah, I get a lot of questions like, so when my son turns 13, he can decide where he wants to live? No, there's no law that says that. There's no statute in Illinois that says that language. Mm -hmm. However, I would say like 12, 13 and up, Mm -hmm. I think the child is at the age then where they can voice their concerns and, and voice their wishes. And obviously, the statutes clearly say that the best wishes, you know, of the, of the child shall be entertained and, and taken into consideration, serious consideration. However, I, I find from my experience, you know, specifically in Cook County that judges are just reluctant in doing a motion in camera without first having a guardian at litem. And so it's really, really up to the judge and, and they're all over the place. It, it's because of the discretion that the judges have, and that there's no set law, mm-hmm. it's all over the place. Well, oh. and, that, and that's a good point too, because I hear that a lot. You know, I thought because my friend had this custody arrangement, that's what I would get, or I heard whatever. And, and I think that's right. the point. You know, there's just so many different parameters of who gets what custody and why. And sometimes we don't even know looking from the, you know, the outside in what the true story is of that arrangement even. And, um, oh yeah, I, I, if I can touch on that a little bit, mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many times I have received a call or a current client of mine has said, well, you know, I don't understand why I can't have X, Y, and Z. I don't understand why this is costing X, Y, and Z. I don't understand why it's taking so long. Um, it all depends case by case. It all mm-hmm. depends on what has been filed, the allegations that have been, you know, pled in the investigation, you know, there's so many different factors. Mm-hmm. So I really, really, really highly recommend to everybody to just understand that every case is different. Right. Every, every single case is different. And you can't just say that, you know, because my friend, you know, Mary got, you know, 50, 50 joint custody, that that's a situation that would be exactly for you because it's not mm-hmm. at all. And what There's about so many factors? And what about even older? Because then the next question in like you know going along with that line of kind of talking about kids aging out. So I have also a lot um, asked. Well, what happens when my child is sixty? Okay, they're not legally an adult, but now they're working, maybe they have a part-time job, they have a lot of after-school activities, they have a lot of senior things going on, and, and people want to know, can they just stop at 16? Is there any difference in the age or no? It, it's always until 18 as far as... Um, well, it, yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's 18 or up to 19 if they're still in high school, actually, in the state of Illinois. So okay. even though they're 16, again... It's all taken into consideration in regards to, you know, their, um, their ability to reach an age to where they can express mm-hmm. truthfully in a way of what they want. And a lot of times, 
you know, we have cases where, you know, there's what's called alienation and Mm -hmm. one parent is, is trying to push out the other parent. And I've got a case right now that's a serious, serious, serious case of that. And it's very unfortunate. But however, the little girl who's, who's 13 years old in this case I have now, she, you know, I filed a motion for in camera and um, we do have a guardian item that's, that's been present throughout the case regardless. Mm-hmm. But I think the judge is going to really take into consideration her age. So mm-hmm. the older they get, the more, the more it strengthens your argument that their wishes should be taken into account. And especially when you start having a lot of activities, you know, and they're yeah. in high school and, you know, they don't want to follow the court ordered visitation schedule that was entered nine or 10 years ago. Right. right. I mean, that's, well, and that goes back circumstances. To yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Circumstances have changed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. No, and it does. I think there is actually a big divide between having very small children going back and forward between two houses and, you know, more mature children who have their own, you know, friends' birthday parties and lacrosse and soccer and etc. It's very, to me, it's become very different. I have three children. I've lived through all those stages, (laughs) barely survived some of them. But, um, yeah, I feel like it, it is. It's, it's definitely different on the latter years, and and I see it not so much as a, you know, like the children choosing where to go exactly, but more that that they have a schedule now. They have a schedule that they need to adhere to, and activities and responsibilities and jobs and whatever else. So, yeah, and it's a it's a it's a big problem that I see a lot, and I I handle a lot of cases where that, you know, the children are older now and we're modifying the original, what we call custody judgment that listed out the original, you know, parenting schedule. Mm -hmm. And honestly, judges really do take that into consideration. I mean, especially where, you know, the kids are, they're working part-time and they're in Mm -hmm. school and they have sports and they want to hang out with their friends. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe one parent's house is further away than the others from their school and all their activities. And, and it becomes an issue. And I hear that a lot too. And then um, the next thing I hear that I want to ask you about is, okay, so even older children now. So now let's say you have children who technically have aged out of the child custody. And so now they're 18 and up, but they're still living at one of your homes while they attend community college or the college is local, etc. Are there any kind of laws or provisions or anything, you know, or is it really strictly that when they're 18, that's it? And those children then, if they choose to live with somebody or not, and somebody supports them or doesn't or contributes to college or any of the rest of that, is there any way that that can be written into um, your proceedings? Like when you get divorced the first time, have you ever heard of that? Oh yeah, absolutely. So just a disclaimer for everybody, if you don't know from my previous podcast, but I'm only licensed in the state of Illinois. I am taking the bar exam in Florida in February, Yay. but I haven't taken it yet. So I'm not. We need you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm only licensed in Illinois. So instead of me saying every time in Illinois, in Illinois, just so you know, I'm referring <laughs> to Illinois law. So yes, absolutely. There's a statute. It's called 750 ILCS 513. Mm-hmm. It's what we call for short 513. 
And 513 specifically addresses the issue in regards to what we call post-high school education. Now, whether that's a trade school or, you know, like beauty school or, you know, going into, um, you know, plumbing or mechanics Mm -hmm. or college or junior college or whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. 513 states specifically that the parents have an obligation to contribute towards the minor children's post-high school education. Mm -hmm. Now, recently, the statute was amended that it states what the cap is. So the cap is, it can't be any more than a four-year education at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. Oh, wow. Very specific. Yeah, I know. They Mm -hmm. get like... It's what we call U of I in Champaign. Mm-hmm. U of I got a big shout out in the uh, in the in the statute there, which uh-huh. must have you know must be pretty nice for them. But okay, yeah, but- it's capped out. It's it, they have an obligation, and it's written into um, the marital settlement agreements that I draft. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so this is a good point. So everyone who is out there listening, and everyone who's asked me, and I don't really know, I would say go out and check with the the lawyer in one of your 50 states, wherever you are, and see if your state has any kind of law that's similar. Because it's a lot easier to do it the first time around and do it than try and modify it after the fact and get more support or whatever it is. Because I, I, I see a lot that as the children get older, the parents often, one or the other of both remarried, people are sometimes even more loath to uh, get along or contribute to each other's things. <laughs> And so it's definitely right. something just, to be addressed in today's society when people often stay at home and most likely go to college, right? Right. And so I just want to add on to what you were saying and what your question was. But so when you have a child who's now what we call emancipated, right? They're not a minor anymore. They're 18 to 19. And they're staying at home and they're living at home with one of the parents. And the courts will take into consideration the cost of living at the home mm-hmm. when they're determining how much each parent should be responsible to pay. So mm-hmm. even though a child might, when I say child, I mean an emancipated child, mm-hmm. when, when the child would be staying you know, in the home and not living in a dorm, there's still expenses with that. And there's okay. also expenses under I- our statute which say that you have to pay for you know, room and board, tuition, food, books, you know. I was going to say food, food, alone, food alone when you have teenage boys is a small fortune, I know from experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And it's, but all of that, and I recommend that, you know, if you're going that route, um, it's a little hard to do it when you're first entering the original agreement. So what the law states is that, once, once the child becomes emancipated, you mm-hmm. need to file a petition for 513 expenses. You mm-hmm. have to file it. You're required to. If uh, you do not file this petition, okay. if you do not file the petition before the expenses are incurred, mm-hmm. the court can bar you from receiving any funds that you've paid prior to filing. So wow. it's very important, very important that you make sure you file early. File before they sit for the SAT mm-hmm. um, or the ACT, before you start incurring those expenses because the judge can say, no, no, we're only going to make a retroactive back to the date that you filed your petition for the 513 expenses. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so that is expensive make too. Sure. 
that you know just that, applying, yeah, applying for college gets expensive 54 dollars application six colleges two kids it all adds up right? right right and all of you know you might have some act prep courses yeah. you have to sit for the act which that costs i believe anywhere between 100 and 150 dollars you know mm -hmm. it, you, the court takes into consideration all of the expenses as a whole and then determines based upon that um, what school the child's going to go to, what the cost for tuition is, if they're going to live at home, you know, do they have a car, what portion of the expenses is the child going to be responsible for? Um, right. Is there any amount of money, you know, from, you know, submitting a FAFSA? I think you, most of everybody out there knows what a FAFSA is, you know, to mm -hmm. receive governmental aid. Um, so having all of these pieces of the puzzle, you know, going forward when you actually go into having the, the petition for 513 expenses heard is key. And so you really want to make sure that you talk to the lawyers in your state mm -hmm. who practice in this area so that you yeah. can get all this information prepared mm -hmm. and have, well, you know, I always put... Go ahead. I was just going to say, because how would you know? I mean, I obviously, from doing what I know, get asked more and more questions, but obviously I've been through my own divorce, never ending one. And, um, and <laughs> you know, and I even think of new things that I haven't thought of before. And, and obviously this is why we need um, information like you're giving us today. And, and we need to investigate a little bit for ourselves and with our own lawyers in our state, because you could be missing out on, you know, a big portion of whatever, is supposed to occur between the two of you if you don't even know that there are stipulations regarding it, right? Right. So in the marital settlement agreement, which is the final agreement that's entered, you know, right when you get divorced, I always put in there that it's subject to, you know, the parties are subject to section 513. Right. And that means that they're both going to have an obligation. Now, I've had parties who have agreed that they're not going to have an obligation. Oh, wow. Okay. So they'll say, you know what? No one paid for my college. <laughs> I'm not going to pay. We're not going to pay for theirs. And if that's an agreement, then, you know, the court, courts always have the discretion to make changes to final agreements. But usually if the parties are in agreement to what they want, they mm -hmm. won't touch it. But usually, and, and this is, you know, 90% of all cases is that, you know, you have that section for post high school expenses that says the party shall have an obligation pursuant to 513. And then 513 kicks in as soon as, you know, it becomes relevant. And then you file your petition for 513 and you've got your information ready and you make sure you get it on file timely, which is key. And then you go through the process and the court will determine, you know, is there any uh, scholarships? Are there any college funds that were established by either party? How much do the parties make? Do the parties have access to other funds that they'd be able to contribute? How much should the child contribute? How many loans should the child take out? Um, all of those things come into play at that point. It's long story short to your question. There's no way, no way to predict the future. Mm -hmm. So that's why we put in there, the parties shall have an obligation pursuant mm -hmm. to 513. Okay, so so I I'm gonna put you on the spot right now. So in your um, in your experience, I know you've been an attorney quite a while, and um, this is your specialty is uh, is divorce. But how, how what percentage do you think of divorcees go back to court for something to do with um, child custody or 
child's support? Oh, wow. I would say, I would say 90%. Yeah. <laughs> well, then that yeah, makes me feel better. Huge. I'm on the third time. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, it's a it huge is, amount. It's unfortunately, you know, the gift that keeps on giving. I tell people all the time, divorce is forever. You're replacing one set of problems with a new set of problems <laughs> or issues. Right. And especially right now for everybody that's in Illinois, as of July 1st of this year, mm-hmm. we have transitioned from a statutory guideline child support to a new law, which I believe Florida has, which is called income sharing. Mm -hmm. And so now, now child support is calculated completely different. So we have, we have people, you you can't come in and change child support unless there's been a substantial change. So you can't come in and say, Oh, there's a new law. And now I want it changed. It doesn't work like that. But there's a lot of people that are saying, well, let's try to be tricky and make it sound like a substantial change and try to get it modified. And so especially in the last, you know, four or five months since it's been enacted and it's, it's good law, a mm-hmm. lot of people are, are changing um, and, and trying to modify their child support and, and obligation. It, and, and just out of interest, is it mostly making people's child support go down or up? Well, for the individual that's receiving the, the payee, um, it's going down because income sharing, if you have, if you have a parent that has, you know, 40, if the other parent has 40% of all of the overnight, right. then what ends up happening is it, it significantly decreases that person's, the, the payor's obligation to the payee. Mm-hmm. So you have to have 146 overnights or more. If you have only 145, you don't qualify for the income sharing. Now, the courts, it's a new law. Courts are very confused on how we're going to, when I say we, I mean the court system overall of how we're going to calculate, um, you know, when it's not a case of income sharing, is it still going to be our old statutory guideline approach? Um, and I think the answer is no. I think because of income sharing now, as of July 1st, income sharing also takes into consideration the child's related expenses that each parent is paying for. Mm-hmm. So it, it calculates what each parent is paying for, the amount of parenting slash overnight that they have, and then we're coming up with these numbers that are significantly lower, even not as low as income sharing, but if you have a case that has 130 overnight, and I fill out all the information um, to complete the reports to, to calculate the numbers that I do, I'm looking and I'm adding all of the expenses that each parent is paying, and I am seeing that it does decrease. It does decrease the child support obligation by a little bit, but I'm talking, I mean, income sharing, I've had a case that was $1,000 a month, and now he only has to pay 36 Wow. I mean, substantial, wow. substantial wow. change. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's pretty incredible. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I guess, a, I guess the change. other tip is keep an eye on the laws, because sometimes it works in your favor, sometimes it maybe doesn't, but as they're ever changing. You know. Today, they I say, always tell people this. It, I, I, 
I think everybody, and, and I believe in this personally myself, everybody should have a lawyer in their back pocket. Right. Always. You never know when something goes wrong and you need somebody to help you legally. And even if they don't practice in family law, I mean, obviously, if you're going through a divorce and you know that there's probably going to be issues going forward, I would always make sure that you're, you have that connection with your attorney. And it goes back to the first question you asked in regards to choosing an attorney. And so I think that, you know, just always be in touch with them. Ask them questions as time goes on after, even after your divorce and see if there's any way that, you know, you can increase child support or make changes to the agreements if needed. And just having that attorney in your back pocket really makes a big difference, huge difference. Wow. No, I think that's a really, really good, good point. And I think that's true. I mean, because I, I, I think that people change, more than they think they will. And even if they're kind of in a sweet spot of divorce, for lack of a better term, and they seem to be getting along and custody seems to be okay and child support seems to be okay, it only takes one curveball. So one person getting serious with somebody else, one person getting engaged, one person getting married, one person moving out of state, one person losing their job. And, and all bets are off and people head back to court. And I think you're absolutely true. You need somebody who, who is familiar with your case, who at any time can go to bat for you and you know and you trust them to have your best interest at heart. Right, right. It's very, very important because like you're saying, there are so many issues that come up that you may never think would otherwise. And right. to know that you have somebody there who's going to protect you and your children and to protect mm -hmm everyone's best interest is so important. And especially, Tiffany, like you were saying with the new laws, like there's no way that, you know, you're not a lawyer, you know, no. most people are not lawyers. And how would you ever know that unless you do this for a living, right? So no. very, very important. True. Well, and on that note, Tiffany, I want to thank you very, very much for uh, being on our show. And can you tell us where people can find you? Yes, absolutely. So again, my name is Tiffany Hughes. Um, you're always more than welcome to call my firm directly. The phone number is 773-893-0228. If you want to reach me directly, um, you can email me. My email is tiffanyhughes at thughueslaw.com. I'm in Chicago in the loop at 22 West Washington Street, Suite 1500, Chicago, Illinois, 60602. Well, thank you. And I will make sure I will link your website and I will link your phone number and your email to our iTunes podcast and people can check you out. And if they get really uh, lost and they can't find you, they can also contact us at dreamsrecycle.com and we will happily put them directly in touch with you. But thank you so much. You've well, given us so much great information today. I'm sure you've saved a lot of people a very long, uh, a long <laughs> session with a, a divorce lawyer today. So thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and everybody out there. Just know that there is a solution to every problem. There really is. And to trust in your attorneys and find the right attorney that works for you. Good advice. Good advice. And thank you. You're welcome.